Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 102 of x Labs, and uh, we're back to business as usual here. We're past the milestone. We're past that weird little pit stop into Deadpool's world. We're back with the regular Dawn of X books here, and today we're going to be discussing the fourth issue of Hellions. We're going to wrap up, I believe we're going to be wrapping up that first arc here. It does seem like it, it does tidally tie up, so let's get right into it. Hellions number four had a November 2020 cover date. Stories called Love Bleeds, written by Zeb Wells, with art by Steven Segovia. Colors by David Curiel. Letters, VCs Ariana Marr. Designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Bisa Amaro White, Basso Sapolsky. Cover price, $3.99, went on sale September 16th of 2020. Now we start off with, uh, well... Our customary Nightcrawler quote, which I uh, customarily glaze over. Then, into the comics, and we are deep underground. We're below the home for foundlings, where Maddie has Alex strapped to a wall with a glowing pentagram-like symbol etched on it. Now, Madeline is planning on summoning all the demons through this sigil, symbol, whatever it is, and it looks as though poor Alex is going to serve as her willing bait. Like the demons are going to... Eat him or whatever Maybe not eat him But he's going to be sacrificed And he's aware of that And he's kind of cool with that So that's where we're at Double page spread of creds Followed by our roll call And it's a mouthful Havoc The Orphan Maker Nanny Wild Child Psylocke Empath Grey Crow Madeline Pryor Arclight Riptide Harpoon Blockbuster And Scrambler And I don't think we'll be seeing Empath I don't know why he gets a little bo- a little box here But what are you gonna do? Now back topside Or at least at ground level, Arclight is about to eat Grey Crow. That's where we left them off last issue. Now, off to the side, some some more legacy marauders are trying to crack Nanny's egg, and uh, that's not a euphemism. They finally manage to get through when Wildchild pounces, followed by Psylocke, who is shoving her psychic blade into everything that moves, and uh, that's not a euphemism either. Harpoon then harpoons Wildchild, and... Uh, Though the poor freak is impaled, like this thing goes right through him, he doesn't die. Psylocke then yoinks the harpoon from Kyle's gut and throws it in Grey Crow's direction. Now he catches it just in the nick of time and frees himself from his upside-down bonds. Suddenly, they, the Hellions and the Marauders here, they hear a great rumbling. Maddie is about to make contact with the other side. Arclight sort of comes around to her senses here. Uh, She's still a putrefying zombie, but... She's no longer completely under Madeline's control. You see, at this point, since Maddie is summoning all these demons, her influence is spread far too thin. 
Grey Crow then suggests that Psylocke and the rest get down to the sub-basement, or whatever the hell it is, to stop Priya, while he brings his old teammates home. And he even gives Psylocke directions on how to access that sub-basement or wherever area. And with that, Psylocke calls the Hellions to formation and they head off. And it's worth noting here, she actually calls them the Hellions. Not sure if this is the first time that this crew was actually being referred to in story as the Hellions. I feel like we maybe should have seen a team name picking scene play out. And, you know, maybe we didn't. I just glazed over it. I don't know. Okay, so the Hellions scramble off, leaving Grey Crow with his old pals. And over the course of a page, he blows their brains out. We jump back to Psylocke and company. Uh, they follow Grey Crow's directions and wind up completely out of position. It's almost as though he lied to them. Probably because he did. Now they find themselves in an old lab which stinks of death. Nanny goes rummaging through some garbage receptacles and finds a whole load of discarded mutant bodies. So it looks like Mr. Sinister just threw away the creations he didn't like, which, well, that displeases Nanny greatly. Meanwhile, back underground, Maddie talks at Alex for a bit, uh, while the demons continue making their way through. Like, they're literally coming through that symbol on the wall, and they're clinging onto Alex's body. They're just grabbing bits and pieces of his torso. Wherever they can find something to hold, they're doing it. She asks what happened to Alex, and uh, why is his mind so wounded? She posits initially that it's all her fault. This is all her doing. But then she suggests that maybe there's another who screwed him up so bad, but we don't get any answers here because, before Alex can, Madeline is shot through the heart, and Grey Crow's to blame. And, and I'm not going to sing the rest of it. Now, as Maddie lay dying, Alex comes down from the wall. The ceremony is broken, so the demons, you know, hands and all, they're gone. And the world is saved, I guess, for now. Now, Madeline asks that Alex remember her. To tell people that she existed, that she was a real girl. And after mending Alex's bloody gob, remember he did cut his mouth open last issue, poor Madeline passes away. And it's at this point that Havoc, well, he completely loses it. He goes, uh, ape defecate here. I mean, he goes nuts. He unleashes all of his power here. The Hellions managed to escape from the home for foundlings just in the nick of time because Alex Summers done blew the whole damn thing to pieces. After the fact, Havoc actually he, he pulls a Steve Urkel with a literal, did I do that? Yeah, yeah. Um, now, Wildchild comments that, hey, maybe the Quiet Council will write and everyone here is completely nuts. And the team laughs and laughs and laughs and laughs. It's very, very weird, but it works. From here, we go to an info page, and it's a report on the Hellions' first outing. Really, really awesome use of an info page, because it's an actual report, right? It's something that you could see existing in the Hoxpox Docs world. There's a synopsis, a metric on the therapeutic value of the endeavor. I mean, this is a really cool use of the info page gimmick. We also get some of the fallout included in this report. The legacy marauders are dead. And the Quiet Council will discuss whether or not resurrection will be explored for them. Madeline Pryor is also dead, and now here's where it gets a little sticky. I mean, she's not human, she's sort of a mutant, but she's also a clone. Now the Quiet Council are going to have to confer to, uh, well, basically define and categorize exactly what Madeline is, or, or was. 
And thankfully, we're not going to have to wait long for a ruling on either case. Now we resume comics content on the beach, where Grey Crow is lounging, kind of like how we found him back in issue one. Now he's joined by Psylocke and Wildchild, and they learn that the he learns that the Council have approved resurrection for the Legacy Marauders. But they're not going to be prioritized, right? They're not going to be immediate. They'll just be back whenever they can get to them. No big deal. Now they sit and they watch the sunset together, or maybe it's the sunrise. I don't know. Uh, maybe we're in for some romantic tension between Grey Crow and, and Psylocke here. They do. They have shared a few telling glances throughout this adventure, so maybe. There's going to be a little bit of a fire to that smoke. We then shift scenes to Bar Sinister. Alex, he's met by his brother Scott. The Quiet Council have made a ruling on the Maddie situation. And, well, she's a complication. She is a complication. Scott says that he tried to get them to understand, but when all the pieces fell into place, the Council gave Maddie the big thumbs down. He apologizes as Alex weeps. Alex yells that Madeline was a real person. Scott apologizes again. It's all he can do. And he walks away. Now, Mr. Sinister watched this scene play out, and, uh, well, the, the creepy pervert really seemed to enjoy it. He, Sinister, is then approached by Nanny, who again really freaks him out. And, yeah, I, I chuckled at this again. I, I mean... I, I must be an easy mark for Nanny and Sinister. I mean, they, they, there could be 20 full pages of Sinister just being repeatedly creeped out by Nanny, and I, I'd probably enjoy the hell out of it. So far, so good. I mean, uh, really, really funny stuff. Anyway, she confronts him on all those discarded bodies back in Nebraska and promises that Sinister will be punished for his misdeeds. He doesn't care for that one bit, but uh, that's all we've got for today. That's the end of Hellions number four. Now, the next issue of Hellions will be part of the X of Tens crossover mass event. And the next episode of this program is going to be Marauders number 12. But let's talk about this issue. Well, to for starters here, this is just another very, very strong issue of Hellions here. One of the, you know, one of the several surprises from uh, Dawn of X Wave 2 here. Loved this issue, and the thing I get stuck on with this issue is pretty much the same the same takeaway I had from the previous issue here, and it's all Madeline Pryor-based here. I don't know if it's just something that resonates in me personally, but the way they treated Madeline here really got to me. It really got to me here. Last issue we had her talking about being a... Was it a nothing person or a non-person? However they worded it, it was perfect. Here, as she lay dying, all she's concerned about is whether or not she'll be remembered. Doesn't seem terribly villainous. Then again, you know, the way she went about it is completely villainous, but it's so weird when you try to, like, when you think of it as a means to an end here. Last issue, she talked about inciting uh, pain as a way of making it so she's left a mark, right? Everybody knows that she existed because she caused them great pain. And even here, with Alex, she's talking about how she caused him great pain and great muddling in his mind. But right before she gets shot, she questions whether or not that was really the case. She's like, wait, no, maybe it was someone else who did this to you. And in that moment, right before she's shot and dies... 
I wonder if, and I mean, I'm projecting onto an, a fictitious char- a fictional character who is also dead, but I wonder if she felt like she existed a little bit less with that revelation that maybe Alex's problems aren't all due to her. And it's weird that that was like her last thought. Her final thought before she was dying is that maybe someone else messed him up. Maybe someone else inflicted pain on him. So what then does that mean about my own existence? And, you know, I might just be reading way too much into this. I might just be a little too precious. I don't know. But that really, really raised the tragedy of this scene. And as she dies and says, uh, please, tell, you know, tell people I existed. Tell people I was a real girl. I mean, it's heartbreaking in a way, in, in many ways. It's uh, very, very strong. Um, maybe it's just the older I get. Um, you start to think about stuff like that. You start to think about legacy. You start to think about what's going to happen when you're not here anymore. Is anyone going to remember? Because if they don't... Did you exist? Right? I mean, I'm, I'm being way too precious right now while we're talking about a book called Hellions, right? Um, but it's, it's very sobering to consider. Um, I think a lot of us have had losses this year, this past year, and this isn't going to be another 2020, am I right, sort of thing. This is just real life. We lose people. And you wonder, like... People live on only in your memories, and there's comfort in that while you're the one remembering someone or something that you lost, but then you don't have any control over it when it's you. So Madeline here pleading with Alex, you know, please remember that I existed. Remember that I was real. Wound up hitting me where I live, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. Um... Legacy, for lack of a better term to use, has been weighing on my mind quite a bit. Um, and, and it does a lot upon, you know, entering a new year, because I think that's where you just start to reflect. And uh, that's not always a good thing, right? Um, so you wonder about legacy. You wonder about just take a year of your life. And uh, last year is probably a really good example. Did you exist that year? Did I exist that year? I don't know. I mean, it's something to think about. It's something to malaise over if we pretend we're all, uh, you know, high school freshmen taking creative writing classes or something. It's really uh, something we can wrap our minds around. But whatever it was, uh, this scene with Madeline really, uh, really got to me. And how it led to the Quiet Council having to pass a ruling on whether or not Madeline Pryor was real. I mean, that is some rough stuff here. And, you know, it's funny. Um, I was going to complain that we didn't get to see that scene. You know, it's like, I, I wish we would have seen the Quiet Council confer and uh, debate whether or not Madeline Pryor was real enough to warrant a resurrection. But, you know, I'm glad we didn't get it. I'm really glad we didn't get it because I don't want to know who voted which way. I don't want to know any of that stuff. I, I, I like the way that it was... That it's being kept nebulous here, and it's just a ruling, and it's uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know that I agree with it because 
I feel like just having her want to be remembered makes her human enough to warrant a resurrection under these, you know, fantastical circumstances, of course. And to have Alex there, uh, the last person to speak with her, the last person to see her, the last person, for, for all intents and purposes, the last person to love her, sit there powerless while people far above his pay grade make a decision People who know her far less than he ever did make the decision to decline, to uh, reject her resurrection, because she's a complication, and we don't know what do we classify a clone as. It's pretty uh, pretty hard-hitting and pretty sobering stuff, uh, and it was just so well done. So very well done. I mean, juxtapose that with... The page right before the Alex and Scott scene where we find out that the legacy marauders are being brought back to life when they were the ones responsible for the mutant massacre. I mean, they have all these atrocities uh, you know, under their under their belts here. And yeah, the Quiet Council's like, sure, why not? Very strange stuff here. A lot of food for thought. And it was just so well done really, really was. Um, if you're not reading Hellions and you're just listening along with this program, um, well, first, thank you. <laughs> and uh, also, maybe consider it. Maybe consider giving Hellions a shot here. It's it's a weird one. It's a very weird one. I never would have expected it to be um, the way it is. I would have never expected it to be a highlight. Um, and here we are. It's really good stuff, and I highly recommend checking it out if you're not already. This was a great four-issue arc. Um, Didn't feel like a whole lot of filler in here. Everything kind of meant something. So I don't think you can go wrong with these first four issues of Hellions. Uh, If you're Hellions curious, I highly recommend you give it a shot. But uh, I think that's all we got to say about the issue itself. I loved it. I think you would, too. So uh, check it out if you'd like. Let's hop into the mailbag, though, where we have a couple of uh, X-Lapsed 100 messages, and then we have a couple of our normal mailbag fare here. So let's start off with a letter from Andrew Franklin regarding X-Lapsed 100. He says, Congrats on reaching episode 100. It's hard to believe it's been 100 days since the start of X-Lapsed. It feels like both years ago and only yesterday. Well, actually, it's been a little longer than that, because uh, while there has been a new show here every day for... Long, long time. X-Lapsed Prime has not been every single day. We've been taking the weekends off to do some Claremont to Claremont and some uh, some of our Sunday specials. So, But yes, every day there's been something new here. And yes, it does feel like both yesterday and a long, long time ago. <laughs> Andrew continues. Having this show to look forward to has really helped get me through this crazy, stressful time. And without it, there's no way I'd be reading X-Men comics again. This is an exciting time in X-History, but it's X-Lapse that makes it really special. You sharing your journey through these books with us, and including the listeners in these discussions, has been a great gift. And, uh, thank you. I mean, that that's awesome. Thank you. And the discussions that everyone has taken part in has been, it's been a real gift to me as well. Uh, there's no way I'd still be doing this. Uh, especially, certainly not at the... Prolificy that we're doing it But uh, it means the world to me That people are following Reaching out Just it, we're, we're all in this together It's so awesome So awesome 
Andrew continues, 100 episodes in 100 days is a big feat, so congratulations on the achievement, and thanks for all your great work. And until the Milestone 200th episode with 10 variant covers, make mine next lapse. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I often say that, you know, podcasting isn't something that I'm proud of because it's just something that I do. But uh, I got to say, doing, doing 100 episodes of a solo podcast is something I never thought I'd be able to do. Um, I never thought, for a little while there, I never thought I'd be able to do a single solo episode of a podcast ever again. I'd uh, grown very codependent and very reliant on other people. So the the fact that I was able to get just through Hoxpox by myself was, I don't know, just something I never thought I'd be able to do again. So to hit the triple digits of a solo show, that's a... Uh, that's pretty cool stuff, and I'm very, very happy that I'm, I've been able to do it here. And uh, regarding the variant covers, there were actually two variant covers for the uh, for X-Labs 100 here. I did a, a little weird little hologram of Professor X, like uh, from the Fatal Attractions comics back in the day. Did a, a die cut so you could see my script right inside there, right below the X. Foil enhanced. Oh, man, just tons of stuff there. And then the other variant cover was just a... Like a collage of every cover of X-Labs. So a hundred covers on one cover. And, uh, yeah, I had fun doing those. I don't think anybody cared about them, but I had a lot of fun making them. It's, uh, it's keeping me up to, uh, uh on my toes in as far as, uh, image manipulation. And it's, uh, it was a lot of fun. But thank you so much, Andrew. Uh, next, Al Sedano writes in. He says, sorry I missed getting this in for episode 100, but I still wanted to offer my congratulations. I checked, and it's only been 134 days since the first episode dropped on September 1st. It's mind-boggling how much you've done since then. I can't think of another comics podcaster who has done anything like this except for Comics Geek Speak founder Peter Rios on his solo show, The Daily Rios. As far as I'm concerned, that puts you two in a class by yourself. You keep excellent company, my friend. Well, thank you, thank you. And, uh, yes, Peter Rios is, uh... He's one of the originals, isn't he? He's been around the block a time or two. And uh, I've actually talked to him a little bit uh, about maybe doing something for uh, From Claremont to Claremont. And uh, he was fairly receptive. I think he'll be more likely to listen to From Claremont to Claremont now that they're in segment form rather than just sending him a 13-hour show and saying, Hey, listen to this, please. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to talk a little bit more about that as we go. Um I remember the first time I heard Peter Rios, I, I was not familiar with Comics Geek Speak. Um, I came into comics podcasting through the X-Men. I came in through a show called The Uncanny X-Cast, which was a really, really good show. I don't know that they're still making shows anymore. I'm so out of the loop in as far as what's current in comics podcasting. But uh, they were what brought me in. They were what... Uh, made me buy a little speaker for my work tr my work van. I had a, an ancient work van when I was repairing windshields that, you know, you couldn't just sync your phone up to. And it was, you know, it was not a smart van. It was old. And uh, I remember getting one of those, one of those cassette tapes that you would hook into like the, like the earphone bit of your phone. And then you'd put this cassette tape into the cassette deck of the vehicle and you'd put it on like a certain a certain station on the radio and it would play whatever that was and it worked awful 
I mean, it was the worst connection. I could barely make anything out. So I stopped at like a truck stop and I bought this little accordion speaker that would sit in my uh, cup holder. And that's how I listened to podcasts back in 2011 or so. And uh, the Uncanny X-Cast was like my show of choice. And Peter Rios would stop by there every so often to chat with the guys. And it was always a good time. So to be uh, to be compared to one of the originals in any way, that's, that's a huge honor. And I really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Al. Uh, next, we're going to go to Damien. And he's talking about X-Force number 11. He says, I read this issue on New Year's Eve and listened to the episode on New Year's Day, and in between I forgot every element of the story. I'm not a drinker, so it's not like I'm listening with a hangover. It just left very little impression with me. What did stick with me is the fact that the description of the issue on Marvel Unlimited refers to X-Force as the mutant CIA. I think we might have an explanation of why the Russians are the villains of this book. Percy is not an expert on subtlety. He is clearly trying to reflect the real world, and he therefore decided that Russia is the biggest villain on the world stage. He may not be wrong, but he might have come up with a subtler and better story if he had used the international power struggle between Russia, China, America, and the EU, and how they could all be jockeying for position with a new nation. House of X number 1 even set it all up. I don't believe that Russia would take a purely antagonistic position to Krakoa in a way of a comic book supervillain. There would be different responses on different levels, always seeking to increase Russia's power in the world. 100% agreed. 100% agreed here. Um, I think whether we like it or not, Russia will be our villain, <laughs> no matter what. But, I mean, like we're supposed to see Russia as like mustache-twirling villains. Like, no subtlety here. There's no jockeying. There's no attempt at diplomatic... Um, you know, power grabs. It's all, we're going to make giant robots. We're going to make an island of our own. We're going to inject people with this. We're going to do that. We're going to attack you here. We're going to block off your gates. They're villains, and it's just so very weird. And like you said, Percy, not an expert on subtlety. (laughs) Damien continues, Ultimately, I think Russia was chosen to be villainous in order to give a real-world parallel to the events of X-Force 12, which you haven't gotten to yet. They want to make a comparison between the CIA and U.S. government and the mutant CIA, so they need a rogue state in the story. By the way, it's taking all my self-control not to add an expletive every time I reference the mutant CIA, because it's such a stupid and juvenile reference. It feels very, look at me, my writing is deep, which just gets me angry. Again, that's kind of Percy in it. Um, (laughs) He will never not remind us that uh, he is writing very, very deep stuff here. Uh, personally, I don't, I don't pay attention to the real world news. So I, um, yeah, I know the, the wide, you know, the inch deep mile wide on a lot of stuff, but real world news just bums me out. So I, I like my, I like my news to be as fake as possible, which, you know, takes place in, in the pages of comics. So I am willfully ignorant of a lot of real world situations. It just makes me. There was a time where I wasn't, and I was a lot angrier. So it's just nicer not to uh, not to know things. <laughs> People can call me ignorant, but uh, it's better to be ignorant and happy than knowledgeable and uh, angry, especially since I don't have any control over anything anyway. I got no power. <laughs> I'm just an idiot with a microphone. Uh, Damien wraps up with, Why is this labeled an X of Tens lead-in? 
I've read all of X of Tens and I see no connection to this issue. The only possible way this links to X of Tens is by getting a guest artist in so Kassara can draw lots of the crossover. I hope that label was put on the book by marketing with no input by editorial as it is a lie. Now, I thought that this was an X of Tens tie-in because of the Cerebro Sword, if I'm remembering the right issue. It's been a little while, but I think this is where the Cerebro Sword got into Mikhail Rasputin's hands. Then again, I don't even know if the Cerebro Sword's going to play into X of Tens. So that was my takeaway from the branding, if if I'm remembering the correct issue. I apologize if I'm not. But that's why I thought that was uh, branded as a, uh, not a prelude, this is the path to X of Tens. But I guess that'll uh, remain to be seen. Uh, I want to thank you so much for writing in, Damien. Thank you. Next up, Evan Bevins is talking about Wolverine number three. He says, I wanted to like this issue more than I did. It felt like there were good pieces, like the Pale Girl, Bannister, and Wolverine having a plan, Kid Omega. The Beast's musings about the Pale Girl were interesting until the Professor suddenly realized he could no longer detect Russia. Huh? I'm not the most observant guy, but that's a pretty big thing to miss. The idea of Russia building its own alternative mutant society is intriguing, but I'm with you. Why does it always have to be Russia? Also, apparently the fine print doesn't read, Cut No Man in Half. I uh, don't mind the repetitive monologue as much, but it was like that and Hanging with Bannister were the only things that made this a Wolverine book instead of an X-Force issue. Totally, totally. And yes, another another Russia book, another Percy story with Russia as the villains. Benjamin Percy, master of subtlety, right? Um, I, I think Damien hit it on the head here with why it always has to be Russia, because it always has to be Russia. <laughs> I gotta wonder, I mean, is there anybody listening to the show who lives in Russia or is from Russia or has any Russian relatives? I mean, how do you feel about this? I'd really like to know because they're, they're jobbing Russia out pretty bad here. I mean, boy, oh boy. Um, now, yes, this does also feel very much like an X-Force story. Uh, it's a lot of the Wolverine issues so far out... The first three, we'll say, the first three issues, um, this Jeff Bannister story, it could be an arc in X-Force. It maybe should have been an arc in X-Force, just with a focus on Wolverine. They, they used to be able to do that kind of thing, just have a focus on a character without having to spin off a whole ongoing series about said character. Uh, the issues four and five of Wolverine are definitely more Wolverine-specific, definitely feel more like a solo Wolverine title, but... Those first three, I mean, they could have been X-Force issues. One of them could have been a Marauders issue. Out of the four Dawn of X Wave 2 books, Wolverine definitely feels like the one that is bloat, you know? Um, X-Factor might not be my cup of tea, but, I mean, it serves a purpose. Um, Cable serves a purpose. Hellions, as we discussed today, serves a purpose. Wolverine doesn't. Wolverine gets his own ongoing because Wolverine's always had his own ongoing, it feels like. Um, I want to say, like, my main takeaway from Wolverine number one, that double-sized monster that we read not too long ago, my main takeaway was this doesn't feel like it warrants a number one of a brand new volume. I mean, it's a Wolverine story, sure. We got two of them, actually, in that issue. But what about those two stories makes it so we need to actually have an ongoing series here? Didn't feel warranted. 
feels very much like bloat. But thank you so much for uh, checking in, Evan. I'm looking forward to seeing your, or reading your thoughts when you get to uh, the second story arc of Wolverine here, the vampire one. I want to hear what you think about that one. That one surprised me a little bit. Surprisingly uh, decent. (laughs) Well, what was it? I didn't hate it. I was just mildly bored by it, (laughs) is what I had to say about it. But... That's where we'll drop the mailbag for today. If anybody else would like to write in, please feel free to do so. You could find me at Ace Comics on Twitter or WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com and xlapse.chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. You can chat with us on Facebook. Our little group is called 90s X-Men. And you can listen to all of the good stuff at the Chris and Reggie Radio Network or whatever the hell network channel. What do, I, what, do I, what do I call that thing? The Chris and Reggie channel. We'll call it that. Over at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. But that is where we will leave it for today. I want to thank you all so, so much for sharing your time with me today. And uh, till next time, as always, I will talk to you all again real soon. See ya. Oh